I'm Megan Meredith. I've been on an interesting journey the past 10 years. It's been full of plot twists, as I'm sure your own journey has been. One thing I've learned is that people are fascinating and full of stories. We all come from diverse backgrounds and have complicated backstories. We experience the world completely differently, and we don't always agree. And that's okay, because there is always something we can talk about. Hey friends, my guest today wears a lot of hats, but I would say that that this woman is passionate about creating spaces that cultivate a sense of belonging and facilitate growth. We have a beautiful conversation around the concepts of belonging and the Enneagram. And like most personality tools, tests, frameworks, whether it's astrological or theological or practical, it's really just a vehicle for self-reflection. And I, I invite you to listen in with a sense of openness, an open spirit, lightheartedness. But before I give too much away, here we go. All right. Welcome, Janessa. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having <laughs> me out. Yes. Um, so tell us your story. I know parts of your story, obviously, and I'm thrilled to know you, but I want our our friends to get to know you. So tell us parts of your story. Yeah, well, I love to share that. I uh, I grew up, actually, I'm a northerner, not one of those southerners. Kind of a funny story. I was born in Oklahoma, and then... Me you know, too. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Where in Oklahoma? Toto. I was born in Wilika, because, you know, Oklahoma and their strange name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of native names. Yes, yeah, I love yes they yeah. are really, really neat. Okay. Too, but. So Oklahoma born and then you were up north. Yeah, and then at a young age, like five, we moved to Minnesota. Uh, and so I was born and raised in the middle of snow and ice and Amazing. long winters. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's my, um, that's kind of my, my upbringing in that sense. But, you know, I grew up in a big family, family of six kids. And, you know, I think essentially... So to not go into too much detail about my family, I grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. I grew up with six kids. And, you know, whenever you start talking about, you know, the APES, ACE, yeah. those adverse childhood experiences and how those are, you know, indications of the trauma in your life and how that um, could potentially impact your future, your mental health, your health yeah. long term overall, I scored pretty high yeah. on a lot of those areas. And so... That was, you know, essentially my upbringing. When I was a senior in high school, we moved to Oklahoma, back to Oklahoma after. Yeah. And um, a lot of that had to do with reasons for my mom's mental health. And so it was kind of like moving to another country. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of culture shock happened there. Yeah. And then I ended up staying in Oklahoma, finished out my bachelor's degree in nursing there in Oklahoma City. Uh, and then I met my husband my senior year in college. It was actually on a uh, mission trip to Peru. I'd always had a desire to travel internationally, and that yeah. was my first time to get to do that. And so um met him actually in New York City on the way there. We had like Amazing. an overnight layover yeah. and then spent two weeks working together. I was in nursing school, so I did medical work there. Mm-hmm. And so that's what brought me ultimately to Arkansas. We okay. dated for a year, long distance. I he graduated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was from Northwest Arkansas and he came with a group from there. And I was, I had a friend who was from Peru. And so she wanted me to go and visit her country. 
So she, you know, got me yeah. to sign up for a trip. And so that was how we kind of all came together. She was like, I know this team that's going, you should join them. Right. And so I ended up joining them and meeting my husband, you know, and spending time with him over those two weeks. It, it was a really, really unexpected, interesting turn in my life. <laughs> you know, I was getting ready to graduate yeah. and wasn't sure what was next. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, graduated from college and then moved to, moved to Arkansas because, mm. you know, you got to figure out if it's going to work in person. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we didn't date very long. It was a couple years um, total by the time yeah. we got married. Like it was fast. Uh, and of course now we've been married for 17 years. Yeah. And so um, I guess we made the right choice, but I don't. You made it work in person. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily advocate for this like fast track to getting married. Right. <laughs> right. But it works. Yeah. It worked out for us. Yeah. Uh, and so that's good. And he's my best friend. So. Um, so I'm thankful for, for that, that we've, that we have been able to grow mm -hmm. up together and that we've been able to, yeah. you know, become to understand each other more. <laughs> yeah. So it was a long time before we had kids. We had like six years of infertility. Yeah. Uh, and in that, you know, that time we actually started working for a church locally. Uh, and so we spent seven years on staff mm -hmm. with a local church. Really, I was working and, you know, working for free for the church. More yeah. Also. <laughs> Working to pay our bills on the side of that, yeah. um, which I don't regret. I love the fact that I, you know, mm -hmm. stayed in my career while I was yeah. also working for the church. But yeah. so somewhere along there in the infertility journey, we uh, felt this um, shift that maybe adoption was a good option mm -hmm. for us. And so we began looking into what that could look like. Yeah. And ultimately a series of some really great events and some unfortunate events <laughs> led us to adopt our two oldest kids okay. uh, who are now 14, mm -hmm. um, but they were three when we adopted them yeah. and, and they're from Uganda. That kind of plays into the rest of our story yeah. there in the end. But so adopted them kind of alongside all of that, just getting involved in that international space, mm -hmm. meeting some different people who were involved in that. We ended up, you know how you kind of feel that like you're doing something and you believe you're supposed to be there and able to like overlook a lot of the things mm -hmm. or, you know, you feel like something doesn't quite fit with your values mm -hmm. or, you know, but you just kind of, you, you overlook it because you feel like right. I'm in the right place and this is good. Yeah. And so I think at some point, you know, how that kind of umbrella comes off mm -hmm. and you look up and around and you're like, Wait a second. This isn't right for us anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And you just begin to change and evolve and realize that it's time to move on from this space. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what led us to leave the church staff world. Mm -hmm. And um, we reached out to our friend, Chris Marlowe, who mm -hmm. uh, at that time was running an international nonprofit. And, you know, we just were asking him for advice. And he was like, well, we need somebody to to move to Africa and get to know our local partners there and help us understand how to do the work. You're like, well. sure. Yeah. We were like, I mean, I, it's funny because <laughs> I was so like, I feel like we're going to do something different. You know, I had all these feelings about it. And my husband was like, no way. And then he's like, okay, this is what we're doing. <laughs> uh, You're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, we just kind of like picked up our two that we had already yeah. adopted and we moved to Uganda, which is wow. their home country yeah. and lived there for four years. And ultimately that, like that whole experience, mm -hmm. um, has really shaped who I am today yeah. and shaped kind of what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it really ultimately transformed mm -hmm. 
um, how I see the world. Yeah. Really what I believe about myself, what I believe about the world and ultimately what I believe about God. Um, all of that was really shaped by that experience. And so just a pivotal time in our lives. Yeah. Also one of the hardest, most difficult times. Yeah. <laughs> Can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So we did that for four years, came back in 2016. You know, we were like, we could go anywhere in the world mm-hmm. right now. We could live wherever we want. And we both looked at each other and we were just like, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so we came back to Northwest Arkansas and settled, you know, in downtown Rogers. And that has become our community. Yeah. And, and here we are now a part of Northwest Arkansas and loving it and have no intention of going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. So that's our, yeah. that's my story in a nutshell. So you just, you just have the two kids, you have more kids. Oh, actually, yeah, we do. That's a big part of our story <laughs> to you. But, you know, of course, you know how you have infertility for six years, <laughs> then you're like, okay, I'm going to give up on this piece right. of it and just move on. And I'm going to move to Uganda. And then you're there for two months and you find out that you're about to have a baby. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what happened to us. Hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> the whole first that's year crazy. there, I was pregnant. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, that was a whole adventure in mm-hmm. of itself. But, but it's great. He's the most incredible human. Mm-hmm. And he's the person who tells me a thousand times a day how much he loves me and how amazing I am and what a good job I'm doing. <laughs> and it just comes naturally to yeah. him. And so I could not imagine our family mm-hmm. um, without the addition of him. Yeah. Um, he's just like my little self-esteem boost all the time. That's amazing. But if you need to borrow him for a while, he'll just follow you yeah. around and talk to you yeah. and make you feel good about yourself. Well, as a fellow adoptive mom, I know that you need someone in your life Telling you those things. My oldest is the same way. He's like, well, you're doing a really great job. I'm like, I know that's not true in this moment, but thank you. (laughs) You know, like you just need, I mean, sometimes things are just off the rails, you know, and and that's true of everybody. I think not just adoptive moms, but fellow adoptive moms will understand that. I mean, just sometimes things are. Yeah. Falling apart. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes things are falling apart. And sometimes just because of the experience that your adoptive children mm-hmm. have, they just, it's difficult for them to develop, to develop that capacity yeah. and the skill to give that back yeah. to you. Yeah. And it's because they didn't get that opportunity to just be told from the beginning where right. you belong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's understandable that they're mm-hmm. in that place, but at the same time, you know, to have that addition of someone who is like, I see you, you're doing a good job. You just keep going. I love you. You're amazing. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Everybody needs it. <laughs> Everybody needs it all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's so, it's so beautiful. And, and honestly, like, because they didn't receive that and they struggle with that, we need those people in our lives telling us those things so that we have that filled cup to give that to them because that's our, you know, that's our job. And, this is not an adoption podcast, but it's just, it's flowing out right now. So. Yeah. Well, it is so you much know. a part of what yeah. has shaped how we move through the world anyway, right? It shapes how I move through the world. Through yeah. the world. I will yeah. say like adoption is single-handedly the hardest thing I've ever done yeah. in my life. Yeah. It is also the most transformative thing mm-hmm. I've ever done in my life. Yeah. There is nothing that has changed me or taught me mm-hmm. or grown me in the way that that has. Mm-hmm. It's single-handedly the most impactful thing yeah. Um, in a thousand ways in my right. life. <laughs> right. So let's just ride this train for a little bit because I, right now we are in a phase with our daughter who was adopted out of foster care that, you know, for her, 
she's old enough and your kids are old enough to, to have that kind of recognition that this is not fair and this is not my story. I didn't choose this kind of thing. And, and some of that is, I think, more obvious when we're in transracial adoptive situations. Um, it's more in front of them all the time that they don't quote unquote fit or match or whatever. And, um, so from your experience with your children, and I'm sure there's ebb and flow and ups and downs and good parts and rough patches, but how, how have you kind of leaned into creating a space through adoption that they can feel like they belong or they choose to belong? Has that been difficult for you guys? And what was the difference between, this is a long question, but like what was the difference between here being adopted from Uganda and being in Uganda? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. And pointing that out on the end, like, you know, what about right. the different environments, you know? Because there you guys are the only, you know, you're in the minor minority and here they are. And so right. that didn't yeah. pass. And honestly, I, I am I'm looking back, I'm so thankful for that time that they have. Um, you know, at the time we thought, oh, well, this will be an added bonus, right? They'll get to know their home country. They'll get to know where they're from and yeah. their culture. But I know that now that four years that they've spent there, they carry that with them mm -hmm. as an understanding of their identity and yeah. kind of building that sense of oh, some idea of yeah. knowing where I came from. And that's so important in developing yeah. kind of that understanding of who you are right. and how you fit in the world at that yeah. bigger picture level. And really a lot of, like, I, I will say, like, in Uganda, they were, they both were kind of carefree, mm. right? They didn't have a lot of struggles. Yeah. They spent time with Ugandan adults who poured into their lives and, and just had fun with them. Yeah. And they got to know that kind of camaraderie yeah. and connection and yeah. friendship. So I love that they have that to look up to mm -hmm. um, because I think through that, coming back to the States, the problem there was that suddenly they were even more acutely yeah. aware uh, of the difference mm -hmm. and uh, that they didn't have kind of that security that they yeah. had there. And then you add the layer on top of that of just kind of here in the U.S. and what it means to be a black person mm -hmm. in our community, in our society. Absolutely. And that just kind of piled on top of that for them. Yeah. So now they're trying to figure out like, okay, I came from this, which mm -hmm. is nothing like the U.S., but then at the same time, I also have this kind of fourth culture, really. Right. I need to try yeah. to figure out um, and figure out how I belong in it. Mm -hmm. So if you see it as like they have that layer of that where I came from and what, how that belongs. They have that layer of I'm, I'm in a transracial racial family. Yeah. Um, and then now I also have this other culture. So I'm a third culture kid, <laughs> adding a fourth culture yeah. to it. And man. You know, just the complexity of that was a lot. And I could not imagine trying to figure that out for myself. Mm -hmm. So I think from, from my standpoint, it's just been some of that has fed into kind of my passion toward kind of understanding a few things. One of yeah. those is trauma, yeah. right? Absolutely. Um, and how that impacts our lives and impacts what we believe about ourselves. Yeah. And then that deeper part of it, right? That sense of belonging, that community, that knowing who I am and mm -hmm. how I fit into the, all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. So I think that all of those things, which, you know, ultimately has led to where I'm at today, mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of becoming passionate about the Enneagram, mm -hmm. but in that kind of uncovering 
yeah. this curiosity yeah. about about how we find our belonging and our place and, and how we how deeply that impacts mm-hmm. um, how we can show up yeah. in the spaces that we do show up in in our lives. Yeah. Whether that's our family or our work or our school or mm-hmm. you know, our community. It all is so deeply impacted yeah. by those things. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think any adoption situation is obviously very unique and very individualized for the child and whatever they've been through. And then within that family unit, it obviously looks different for everybody. I think about the curiosity that you just said, and I I think that's such a big part of our own journey. And I would love for you to speak to how that has helped you guys working through maybe your own trauma or their trauma or just adoption in general. Because I find, I find that especially in Christian circles, there's a lack of curiosity when, when everything depends on our certainty, there's, there's a lack of curiosity. And I think, and we'll, we're get, we're going to get to the Enneagram in just a second, but the, I feel like the Enneagram is one of those tools that allows us to kind of be curious, but without that curiosity, then, then there's no really working through trauma. Because you're not peeling back those layers because you're scared of what's under there. Mm-hmm. And so you're not willing to to peel back those layers or overturn those rocks or whatever. And so we have to have that curiosity. Do you feel like there was a moment where you realized that? Or was there kind of like a before and after where it was like, I thought I knew how to parent and and now I need to be curious? Or kind of kind of speak to curiosity within within your own story and your children's. Yeah, I think you you know, you're hitting right on that that point honestly it started with like the way that i thought i should parent mm-hmm. or all of the tools that i have in my toolbox yeah these are not working i need some new tools in my toolbox. Right. i don't even know where this came exactly. from exactly <laughs> like, this is not working yeah. nothing is changing yeah. no one's getting better and you know it, you kind of go into and this speaks to a whole other layer of things just like you go into it thinking i'm equipped to do this my trauma doesn't really impact this or i don't have it yeah i don't have any i've done my yeah. work i've already been to therapy kind yeah. of thing, and sorted through all that like kind of go into it with this idealism that it's going to be this this beautiful painted picture of a family yeah and then you start like trying to do it and you're like oh this is not working <laughs> um, this is this is not working and so I, that's really honestly where it started yeah. it was out of desperation and i think that desperation caused me i think in my mind because i'm i'm like I want to do things right. Mm-hmm. And I want all the information and details on how to do it right. So I yeah. can check off that box and say, I'm doing it right. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, when I figure out that I needed to do something better, then I start like diving into all the knowledge I sure. can about it. So yeah. it's like a curiosity, but it's still like a selfish curiosity, <laughs> right? It's really just like, I want to do this right. Mm-hmm. Even though ultimately, you know, that work is what, impacts them positively yeah. right ultimately most of the things we do we do for ourselves yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how not to <laughs> exactly exactly i think it's just in general the way that we're wired yeah. to get our needs met right that's, yeah that's how our whole enneagram right. comes up in the first place yeah our personality yeah. develops out of yeah. how we've learned how to get our needs mm-hmm. met 
that's really where it started. Yeah. And the curiosity started around trauma. Mm -hmm. And it started with me asking the question, like, what is the different experience uh -huh. that I'm having? What is the different experience that they're having? Yeah that's making it more difficult for us to be successful here. Mm -hmm. And that was the question I think that I asked the most, mm -hmm. just like, what is happening? Yeah. These behaviors that you are, you are exhibiting like, the mm -hmm. ways I'm reacting. And I say intentionally reacting and yeah. responding. Yeah. Like, all of these unconscious patterns that I'm developing, mm -hmm. where are they coming from? Yeah. And so that is the, where the curiosity started. Yeah. Like, Something different is happening here. Mm -hmm. What is it? We're experiencing the same situation completely differently. Exactly. Why is that? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I dove into trauma and I dove mm -hmm. into understanding the physiology behind it, the brain, how it impacts our bodies. Like, yeah. And just was fascinated by it. And it made me feel so, and I guess in a way made me feel so much more equipped mm -hmm. in some ways and also like cause me to adjust my expectations yeah. to know like there's only so much that I can do mm -hmm. here. I can do my work. Absolutely. But yeah. at the end of the day, someday they're gonna have to do their work. Mm -hmm. And that is ultimately where the healing yeah. comes from. And so so it took some pressure off of me mm -hmm. a little bit to realize yeah. I don't I don't have to heal them or right. fix them. Right. Um but instead yeah. Like how can I work on myself so that I can yeah. show up for them right. and show them how to work on themselves? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it started with trauma and just being confused yeah. by all the things. Trauma is such a rabbit hole, like an endless, you just fall down it, you know, <laughs> and you don't know if you'll ever come out the other side, but you're going to learn a ton as you're falling down that rabbit hole. Exactly. Exactly. I think one of the most like valuable things that I have done is I, I ended up doing like a training, getting a certificate in building trauma informed organizations yeah. because I started looking at this, like if our family system works this way, what does that mean in the other systems yeah. that we work in? Whether that's the church that we put ourselves in or whether that's the school or whether mm -hmm. that's the community or whether that yeah. It is our workplace. Yeah. Um, I started asking that question, like, how is this showing up? Because it's all translating somehow and we're like reproducing it systematically. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so I started asking that question and I started asking, like, how do we help people heal from mm -hmm. this? So really that's where, yeah, that's where it all came together for yeah. me. Like, yeah. how can we help people heal? Mm -hmm. Which ultimately translated to how can we understand people's mm -hmm. experience more yeah. and understand their behaviors more? Yeah. And then, then the deeper layer to that is right. how can we all just hold space for each other yeah. and know that we all belong? Yeah. And so that does come around and maybe, you know, the, the, where I steal this from or the quote, you know, Richard Bohr wrote the mm. book, Everything Belongs. Yes. And so my, my, uh, kind of just my mantra or my mm -hmm. life has just become, it all belongs. It all belongs. And that for me as an Enneagram one, <laughs> um, was an important growth lesson for me because yeah. I was so good at putting things in black and white mm -hmm. and this is good and this is bad. And I'd been kind of programmed that way myself. Yeah. And so to be able to have that freedom to look at something that I don't understand and say it all belongs. Yeah. Or to look at a part of myself. Yeah that I don't understand or that I don't like or that yeah. I'm frustrated with yeah. and be able to give that grace that says yeah. it all belongs. This is here for a reason and it's serving a purpose. I've developed this for a reason right. and it has helped me and protected me in many ways, mm -hmm. you know? 
but maybe it doesn't need to serve that purpose anymore. Right. 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 So that's kind of where, yeah. I don't know if all that comes together. Oh, me, I love that so much because I, I come from a space, I think, where everything was sort of pseudo-spiritualized or over-spiritualized or kind of spiritually bypassed even to where like you have to kind of assign spiritual value to a situation or an experience in order to make it make sense. Like if we're just grasping at control here, but, but the way that that fleshes itself out is, you know, all of our pain has to have purpose and we have to kind of something good has to come out of it kind of thing. We have to like turn it in. We have to kind of redeem everything, you know, and, and, and while I think that's fundamentally true that everything gets redeemed, right. But I think that sometimes we overdo that in the minute things, the day-to-day -day things to where it's like, what if we just relaxed and took that space? And that's what that book helped me do was just to go like, it doesn't have to mean anything. It just belongs. It belongs in my story. And then you just like hold it so loosely because you're just like, oh, okay, I don't have to assign value to things. I don't have to create this narrative that makes it make sense because I can't make it make sense. It just is what it is and it's there. And, and some things, just like you said, some things serve you for a little while and then they don't. And you can, you know, like let go of that behavior, that coping skill or whatever. And yeah. it's just, I, for whatever reason, I felt like I needed that for a little bit and now I don't. So I can let go of that, but it yeah. belonged for a little bit, but now I don't need it. You know, yeah. like, I don't know. It just helps you hold everything really loosely to just go, it all just, it belongs. And it sounds a little bit hippy dippy, like <laughs> we don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I love reading your roar, and it just feels so brilliant to just let everything belong, and really, like, let everyone belong to us, and we belong to you know. It just like yeah. it opens up everything, and there's no more black and white yeah. if everything belongs. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. We're just like we've we've through our society and our experiences, we're just programmed to think like to. Pick out the bad apple, mm -hmm. piece of it, right? And let's get rid of it. Let's yeah. fix it. Instead of just really looking at it, you know, like, I, I, I you know, you can't see me right now. But <laughs> my, actually, what my, um, I guess she would call her my therapist, my life coach, whatever. Yeah. She likes to hold her hand out. Mm -hmm. Just like look at her hand and yeah. turn her head sideways with curiosity. Yeah. Like, hmm, where'd that come from? Uh -huh. You know? But this way of approaching things where we're not, we're not, walking in with judgment and yeah. labeling it as yeah. good or bad or it needs to be gone but instead just being like i'm thankful what that is this that? thing that i thought yeah. was bad has served a purpose right in yeah. the sense that it has you know most of the time it was to keep me safe or was yeah. to get my needs met yeah. you know yeah uh and realizing that that's not a bad thing and sometimes mm -hmm. repurposing it is wonderful like yeah. you know I, yeah. I walked through this exercise and just like anger right mm -hmm. i have a struggle with anger most of my life and it's like you know that's the the hallmark of an enneagram one oh, that's like their their core passion is is anger and you know for so long i thought this is bad like, yeah i'm just an angry person and anger is mm -hmm. not good uh and so my relationship with it with anger was really um just unhealthy and coming around to that realization that my anger has helped 
keep me safe, yeah. right? Yeah. When I feel yeah. threatened, when I feel unsafe, mm -hmm. that anger can get big. It's natural, right? Yeah. When it does, it scares moths, right? It scares them front off. It's effective. It's effective. <laughs> exactly. Right. And then just walking through, like, how can I transform that anger mm -hmm. into this kind of just solid knowing mm -hmm. of what's right in this moment mm -hmm. and being firm and standing on that? Yeah. You know, how do I transform that where... Now I'm setting a boundary that's firm and confident mm -hmm. rather than I'm angry. I'm yeah. going to get big and scary so you'll get away. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Leave me alone and get oh, away wow. from that trauma that you're judging. That's so good. So just things like that, yeah. realizing like my anger belongs. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't always show up in the way that I'd like it to. It serves a purpose that's good. And I don't have to turn everything good, like you're saying. Right. Like, yeah. Just that recognition that even these things about ourselves that we think mm -hmm. are bad, they're part of us. And that's good. <laughs> yes. I can't call a part of myself bad. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So when did you come across the Enneagram? Because it kind of blew up a couple years ago, but it's been around for ages and ages. Yeah. So when did this kind of intersect with your life? Yeah. So I first encountered the Enneagram, I think it was in 2016. Okay. Or 2017. And would you say that you were already curious about people and different experiences and belonging before the Enneagram and then the Enneagram came in or did that kind of all coincide together? I would say for sure from the context of trauma, okay. I was really curious about how this shows up and mm -hmm. how this impacts, like who we are, what we believe, you know, just kind of that yeah. system of how, what I believe about myself, what I believe mm -hmm. about how the world works yeah. and what I believe about, you know, God or, you know, in those situations. Mm -hmm. And so I already had kind of that curiosity and had taken in a lot of knowledge around trauma. And so when the Enneagram came in, I was like, oh, this is just another, you know, personality test. Yes. This is another personality. Were you into personality um, tests? Like, I you know, Myers-Briggs and things like that. I wasn't, but I was intrigued by the fact that everyone that kind of told me about it said, this one's different. Okay. And so that's why I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll learn a little bit about uh -huh. it. Like, I'll look into it. I took one of those online tests like everyone does. And then later learned the online test. Don't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I became really curious about that part of it. Mm. And so then I just kind of, I took a test and then I just kind of interacted with it a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I was one number and then turns out I was a different number, mm -hmm. but just kind of keeping it, observing myself. It yeah. taught me to begin to yes. observe myself and notice how I'm showing up and what I'm mm -hmm. doing, what my patterns are. And so I think that was a huge, like a valuable tool for me. But the other thing that really led me to be curious about it was I started trying to understand my husband's behavior <laughs> <laughs> in the context of the Enneagram. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, I, through that, like he's an Enneagram seven. So he is like mm -hmm. the enthusiast. He's like the, the eternal child in a way, just brings mm -hmm. this childlike joy to yeah. everything. But also I had a lot of, I, I didn't understand some of his behavior there yeah. because I was so like justice oriented and so self-sacrificing <laughs> and like to a point where I was sabotaging myself and way over giving. Right. Right. Yeah. I didn't have any boundaries, you know? But his behavior was very boundaried in a lot of ways, yeah. but that was really focused on, you know, what could bring him joy in that moment mm -hmm. and easily moved beyond the, mm -hmm. the things that didn't, but also recognizing like it was really difficult to have a deep conversation with him <laughs> if it felt uncomfortable, you know, yeah. so I could, we were struggling through that, like yeah. 
I try to have a conversation because I just want to get to the point. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Let's get beyond it. Let's fix it. Right. Check, check, check. And yeah. he's like, I don't even want to have this conversation. That part was what really fascinated me because it really transformed how I see him. Yeah. And that was the, like, a pivotal point yeah. for me. It's like transforming who I see myself as one thing mm-hmm. and knowing, like, yeah, now I know a lot of my weaknesses. Yeah. Because that's where you start with the Enneagram, right? right. Like, here's all the things that... That basic, like, what is it? <laughs> fundamental law kind of, you know, it's like, yeah. quit telling me my business. <laughs> you know, it's not nice. <laughs> You're not supposed to know that. How do you know what in the world right now? <laughs> yes, that voice is there. It's constantly berating me and I didn't even know it, you know? <laughs> but then with him, all of a sudden, it transformed, like, these behaviors for for that he was having yeah. transformed to admiration and curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, you are a brilliant human and yeah. you show up in a completely different way. You live on you. Right. In that, I value that. Thank you for bringing that to the table, right? Mm-hmm. So it began to transform yeah. how I saw him. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's been the single most, like, yeah. best tool yeah. um, I've ever encountered when it comes to yeah. my marriage. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. What I hear you saying is like that, that just opens you up to like holding space for him to be himself. You know, I think the trauma piece and just parenting in general and marriage in general, but like sometimes I think we come to a space sometimes almost in like a behavior modification angle, mm-hmm. especially parenting. Like we're not, I'm not interested or at least this was this was my original take on parenting is that you should teach the child how to behave instead of being curious about who that child is right you know yeah. that they came out fundamentally a certain way you know right and and I didn't have that curiosity in the beginning, you know, and, and it was more about how to behave in Walmart <laughs> and how to not throw your food at the table or, you know, I mean, that sounds really right. elementary, yeah, and but according to your own standards. Yes. Right? Like, the, the tools that I had in my toolbox were all behavior modification. Right. And then it became curiosity and it, and then it became holding space for who they are in this moment, but also who they think they want to be, right. you know, and like, so I, I mean, I agree with you and I just see, I just see that, that it just opens up that space for people to just be themselves instead of saying, like, I need you to behave, husband. I need you to behave this way because this is conducive for us staying together. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and child, I need you to behave this way so that I'm not embarrassed right. of you in public or, right. or whatever. You know, that we're really oftentimes just looking for people to behave rather than holding space for, actually see why you are that way. And I love that you're that way. It's really inconvenient for me right now. But, <laughs> but like, I love that that's your brilliant self, you know? Yes. Yeah. Just recognizing that you know, everyone, we need all of us. Yes. Um, we yeah. need all of us at the table. Yeah. Not just like we want all of us. Mm-hmm. It would be nice if everyone was here. Yeah. Like, for us to really, really, mm-hmm. I think all of us reach our full potential. Yeah. We need all of us at the table. Right. And I have so much to learn from you and I have so much to learn from him. Yeah. And I have so much to learn from my children and I have so much to learn from the experiences of those around me and the way that they take in the world and move yeah. and make decisions and act like all of their behaviors. I, I'm the same way. I was so focused on like, how can you change your behavior to make me feel good about it? Right. Like, 
to make me look good even yeah, too. To make me look good, to make me feel comfortable, yeah. to get what I want. Like right. that was really, you know, I think how I was filtering so many things. Mm-hmm. Like I was just wondering around fixing everyone. Right. You know, like fixing you to get in line. <laughs> get in line, I'll tell you how to fix it. Yes. And then you will no longer be a problem to this society. You know? Phones are good at that. Get back in line. We are. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back again to the, yeah. like, you know, it all belongs. And that's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's a great strength of mine. Yes. But how can yeah. I use that constructively? This right. gift that I have to be able to see how we can all do better. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so that really ultimately, like, you know, here's the Enneagram oh. that's happening with that. And then all of a sudden asking that question, like, now I know some of the things that I bring to the table. Yeah. How can I yeah. use those in yeah. a way and apply them mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. that isn't so much about fixing others, mm-hmm. um, but really about helping us all move yeah. together in a better direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where I'm at today. Yeah. I find that sometimes the Enneagram is polarizing. Have you found that to be true? Maybe what do you mean by that? (laughs) Say more words. (laughs) You know that in certain circles that even very conservative Christian circles would say that it's not biblical or it's not sort of of God or things like that. I can't even say it with straight face. But some people buy into it and other people don't. But sometimes those strong opinions on either side are very strong. You know, it's not just the like, take it or leave it, whatever. It's, It's sort of a... You either love it and you understand it, or you're not even willing to even look at it and be curious about it. Right. Right. And, you know, sometimes your response to that can be like, that says something about your Enneagram. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> but no, I agree with you in that sense. And, you know, really the Enneagram, it's, it, it can seem so threatening. Mm-hmm. Like even the the diagram and all of that, like yeah. at, especially if you come from this conservative Christian background, it looks so threatening. It right. looks so, you know, like we're conditioned with these different images mm-hmm. to to mean bad things, yes. right? Yeah. And and so I think that even just the way that it's set up in that respect mm-hmm. can can be very off putting to people right. who maybe have a a different have kind of that conditioning mm-hmm. through their own experience. And so I think that you're right. I think that I'm learning that as I interact with more people and talk about the Enneagram in different spaces. And, and so I think what that has led to for me is like, in reality, like the Enneagram is, so it was initially like created by someone and now what it has become kind of in that, like, you know, essentially the Christian community Mm -hmm. picked it up and and they kind of repackaged it. Yeah. And so it looks very different from what was it originally or intended to look like. And I think that the original Enneagram was was probably the parts that they took out were the parts that maybe could be misconstrued as not including God in the factor or in the mm-hmm. equation. Because it talks, it kind of aligns alongside of kind of this levels of consciousness or increasing mm-hmm. consciousness, which in yeah. reality is just like... Awareness. Be, yeah, just being more aware, <laughs> yeah. right? And self-reflective yeah. and, and self-observing mm-hmm. and observing mm-hmm. of others and in that yeah. kind of being present in the moment, right? right. Which are all right. things that are so important. Yeah. And when we think about that, like we talk about 
in the Christian community about presence and mm-hmm. God's presence. And we talk about the Holy Spirit and we talk about all these different things. And these are all like the same explanation. It's about presence. It's about being here and understanding the depth of what's here in this moment and yeah. what is available to us. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, I guess for me, what that has led me to do is there are so many tools Right. Right. For personal growth, there's so many tools out there for understanding ourselves and understanding others, you know, whether that's, you know, like levels of consciousness, yoga, meditation, like, you know, you put all these things in there. These are all tools that ultimately just really teach us to be aware. Right. And be curious about what's happening in this moment. Yeah. It's all exercises. Yeah. And so I kind of, you know, don't necessarily feel like I have to help someone understand the Enneagram. Yeah. If I can just know that that's really what we're getting to here, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. how you show up and how I show up, if we can just be aware, right? And, you know, the model of emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. It starts with self-awareness, yeah. right? And through that, you build awareness of others. Yeah. They bring to the table and you begin to know what's yours and what's theirs. Yeah. Beyond that, you can interact socially and relationally. Right. And, and that's that. We can define it as that as well. I think that it's just this really great tool Mm -hmm. to help us be more aware and curious. I've loved that you use that word tool because that's that's how I feel about it. I don't think the Enneagram is meant to sort of pigeonhole anybody into a certain way of being and you're not allowed to change or evolve or any of that. You know, like this is you for all of time. But it's it's literally just a tool to help you understand what already is. Right. Exactly. I <laughs> know yeah, that's exactly. I say to my daughter all the time, like us saying it out loud doesn't make it more true because it, it, it already is true. <laughs> exactly. We just need to learn to say it out loud. Right. But sometimes the saying it out loud, the looking at it, the curiosity of it does feel like it makes it more true. And I think that's the whole point. It helps us verbalize, you know, just like you just said, I, I have this anger thing. Right. You know, and and I can turn over that rock and look at it if I want to, if I'm brave enough, or I can just pretend like it's not there, but it is still there even if I'm pretending it's not. Right. You know, and so I am still who I am and I still have these reactionary things and I still cope the same way and I still all of this stuff, even if we're not calling it an Enneagram number. Right. Exactly. And so I think that's what I find funny. (laughs) (laughs) about people that are unwilling to even entertain the idea of it because it's like i mean just because we're putting a number with it and we're saying i kind of understand myself better because of this thing this number this system right i was still that person before i assigned a number to it and you're still that person even if you're unwilling to love yourself (laughs) right exactly and i think that's the whole point right if we say like it's you know, you're this way forever or whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. you know, in reality, like our Enneagram number is really just like, it's really science, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's understanding how you use your thinking, your feeling yeah. and your doing and yeah. it's understanding, you know, how you move toward people, away right. from people or with yeah. them, you know? Yeah. So there's those parts of it. And so in reality, what you have to point to is really, this is just an explanation mm-hmm. of all of the combinations of the ways that I've learned to cope in this yes. world. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is developed for me because of my experiences. It's developed for me because of how I'm wired. It's just developed for me. And if I can't understand where I'm at, then I don't have any reference point for where to go. Right. Right. 
if you don't know that it's there and it's still unconscious, then you can't, you can't do anything mm-hmm. about it. You can't work on it. You can't change it because you haven't brought it into your awareness. Right. And so just that callback to like, you know, we can call it the Enneagram. We can call it the Berkman. We can call it, you know, whatever those things are. But all the spirit. <laughs> right. Exactly. The, yeah. The fruits of the spirit. We can call it. It's the Myers-Briggs. Right. Yeah. Um, there's one with animals like otters and animals. You know. Yeah. There's so many different ones, but really these are just some, someone has come along and done the work right. to try to conceptualize mm-hmm. what are different combinations of how we yeah. learned to cope in the world yeah. looks like. And so if we just explain it like that mm-hmm. and not make it like, this isn't who we are. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's really not who I am. These are my behaviors that show up. Mm-hmm. To protect that center yeah, that's really who I am, right? That's a good distinction. Yeah. And so whenever we see it in that way, then all of a sudden we'd be like, well, who am I really? Yeah. Right? Yeah. One of the things I love about the Enneagram, well, two things. One is that I love that it gives so much space for growth, that it's not just defining you and trying to label you, you know, because everybody has like an allergic reaction to labels. <laughs> and so, but but it's allowing you to say, this is this is naturally how you show up. And here, just like you just said, here's where you can go from here. And you can look at these other traits and these other numbers and be like, I really would love, I love that about twos. And I love that about fours. And, and even, you know, take on those things if you want to and, and right. work on those things like the fruit of the spirit <laughs> to be like, I'm really supposed to encompass all of this in health, you know, that I could be a little bit of all of these things and learn to show up however I want to in the world, right. especially you know. if I wasn't devoting so much energy to these things that I do over and over again. Yes. Right. Like thinking about as a one and that right. perfectionism, yeah. I wasn't devoting so much energy yeah. toward perfectionism. Yes. I might have some space to just really be present and see everyone's mm. like everyone's side and yeah. their beauty and their perspective, yeah. right? Taking on yeah. that nine, right? Where I just am like, I see a little bit of everything, you know, be, you know, <laughs> Um, yeah. I would have more right, like brain space and energy yes. toward that if I wasn't utilizing so much of it to mm-hmm. make sure that there's not a single smudge left on this right. countertop, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so how much energy do we put in these yeah. patterns? Cause they're just like yeah. deep ruts in our brains. Yes. Um, yeah. And we start taking that energy and putting it mm-hmm. somewhere else. All of a sudden we have access. Yeah to do the things that we really want to do and ask right. ourselves, what do I really want to do in the yeah. closet? Yeah. I don't want to perfect them. Mm. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe it doesn't matter. But if I yeah. decide and I'm aware of it and decide I'm not going to perfect mm-hmm. that because I don't want to, that is that aspect of growth. All of a yeah. sudden we have access. We have energy mm-hmm. we have space for it. The second thing I love about the Enneagram is that it, I think it helps us feel less alone even in this world where everything is instantly connective via the internet, you Mm -hmm. know, like we can just feel like we're the only person that feels that way or sees the world that way or reacts that way or has sort of absorbed that trauma in that way or whatever. And so then, then you figure out that you're not the only one, (laughs) you're not the only eight, (laughs) you know, that, that there are, there are multitudes of people who, in their own nuances, show up in the world and experience the world in that sort of framework, you know, and desire the same kinds of things. And, and you can gravitate towards those people and you can gravitate towards other kinds of people too. Mm -hmm. And that knowing, knowing what other people are kind of aids you in 
we work really well together and we're naturally going to butt heads. And so, or I should marry someone that's like, you know, it just right. helps you feel less alone, but it also helps you understand relationships right? so much better. Yeah. I love that too. I think that ultimately, like, you know, I can look at, like, I, I used to be extremely confused by the behavior of AIDS, right? And honestly, really intimidated by it, like to the extent that I could feel really insecure around them because I was afraid yeah. in a lot of ways. And as I've moved into the Enneagram and began learning that, right, typically a one in eight are going to butt heads, right? Because a one, we both kind of want the same result, mm-hmm. but one of us, we both have different ways of getting there. We yeah. value different things along the way, right? And so... But I've learned to to recognize, like, I really enjoy the energy of an eight. Mm-hmm. Man, they can keep rolling in a way that that I'm like, I'm like we're going to stop. We're in we five miles. <laughs> no, we're in five miles, and I have no more energy left. Right. And they're still moving forward, mm-hmm. and they can keep us all moving mm-hmm. forward. And I think that that is something that I love. I, I yeah. like, I can draw on some of that energy mm-hmm. and they can help me move forward because yeah. I'm like, I really want to have the energy to keep going. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I can't access that right, right now. Right. And they can show up with that and yeah. I can follow along and, and I love it. And just, yeah, I think finding those little ways that we connect mm-hmm. where we're normally about heads or where we yeah. normally be on opposite side of the table and be defensive. Instead, how do we get each other on the same side of the yeah. table? Because if we can get each other on the same side of the table, we're in a powerhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm newly embracing that I am an eight. Oh, really? This is fresh for me. I have been mistyped my entire life. Well, since we learned about the Enneagram. Uh-huh. And it's through therapy and it's through trauma work that we've sort of under, we've uncovered that that I was sort of hiding inside a four Mm -hmm. and moving through some situations this past year and through therapy, my therapist was like, I don't, I don't think you're a four. (laughs) She's like, I need you to go home and work on that. Try on a different number. Yeah. (laughs) And then she wasn't obviously going to tell me what I was, you know, and tell me what she thought. But that was very interesting to me to, to have someone else say, I don't think this is you. And I think that this is the reason why you think this is you. Mm-hmm. And so I just did a lot of research and I did take five different tests. But but from that, just started doing research and actually really what I found was that that core of what I always knew to be true about myself was hiding in there underneath mm-hmm. this sort of protective layer of a foreness, mm-hmm. you know, and because of the way because of my childhood and situations that happened throughout my life, it was it was not safe to be an eight and a female mm-hmm. in a Baptist church, right. you know? Yeah. And so I learned really quickly that it was better to just sort of cave inward. Mm-hmm. And so I surrounded myself with my feelings, my emotions, but mm-hmm. really they were a wall and they right. weren't protective and they were they were just keeping me safe, just mm-hmm. like you were saying, like those things that we do. And really, you know, our bodies are amazing. Our brains are amazing that know how to keep us safe. Yeah. And we create yeah. these little things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, I think that protect us. You see that like in the, I, that's an interesting revelation to me because, you know, like a social eight, which I'll guess is probably what you are, but I'll let you figure that out yourself, <laughs> can often look like a two or right. can look more like subdued socially. Mm-hmm. 
and can be a lot more like quiet and mm -hmm. introspective and reflective yeah. and listening more than they're talking. Mm -hmm. But then, but then whenever they come into that space where they feel that confidence mm -hmm. to take the lead, mm -hmm. that's where that comes out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of, and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I see uh -oh. eight. I see <laughs> Uh, your eight is showing. Yeah, exactly. Your eight <laughs> begins to show, right. and it shows in a good way. Yeah. There's a piece of that that plays into kind of even like spiritual gift tests, which we didn't cover. But you know, within the church, there's even those kinds of things that are mm -hmm. happening. And 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 I think as females, we pick up on this is sort of implicit. It's not always explicit, but it's implicit. What is more um, palatable for you to be? what your spiritual gift should be as a female versus what it is not. It's not appropriate for you to be a pastor or a preacher because we're not going to allow you to do that. Mm -hmm. And so then also I think you learn that when it comes to your personality and you start to hide things and kind of bifurcate yourself and say like, well, this is not palatable for people. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure having an eight child is not fun <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> When you are parenting from a behavior modification place mm -hmm. and eight, more strong will, they are going to challenge the status quo right. every minute of the day, yeah. you know, and so it became safer to be something else. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I think mistypes happen all the time because it's more palatable. It would be better for you to be like the helper too. Can you be that please? Right. Because exactly. this is inconvenient for right. us, for you to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, in reality. Wild and buoyant, you know, seven or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I think yeah. we pick up on those things and we go, well, I can identify with some of this. So I'm just going to say I'm a two. Right. Yeah. You know? Yes, exactly. Instead and of being willing to be honest and be like, actually, as inconvenient as it is, I'm an eight. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, everyone. I'm you sorry. know, <laughs> I'm not into inconvenience of all of you by being myself. Not sure how this is going to go, but this is the truth. <laughs> no, I love that. And honestly, I think like that is that stereotypical, especially in the like, like that kind of conservative church upbringing mm -hmm. and, and how behaviors, certain behaviors are acceptable and certain yeah. behaviors are, are needing to be modified. Right. And I think that, you know, you could pretty much the typical female in the church should be defined as a two, right? Mm -hmm. Show up and hostess. Yeah. But, you know, whenever you actually are a two, and yeah. you actually know what it's like to yeah. be a two, you know, at the end of the day, like showing up and like just doing things mm -hmm. and getting with yourself with no boundaries is ultimately like, like extremely built up a lot of resentment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's hurtful. Yeah. Um, it's not good for the person mm -hmm. who's showing up to do that. Right. Um, right. And so the whole work of it too is to recognize I matter and yeah. I need to take care of myself yeah. and I need to say no and I yeah. need to not do so much for others. I need to show up for myself first yeah. and know that when I do that, mm -hmm. then I have the capacity to really give in a way yeah. that I want to be able to right. give. And again, pointing to that like gift, like they have this really great mm -hmm. gift of being able to see someone else's need before they even get yeah. there, right? Yeah. But just because they can see it doesn't mean they have to meet it. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. And so, so even just like realizing like the actual person who mm -hmm. is a two, does not identify with I'm going to work myself endlessly right. and sacrifice myself right. on the altar of your needs. Yes. Um, yeah. Self, like self implode essentially yeah. because I can't give anymore. I've overdone. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I was talking to a friend. I interviewed her the episode before this one and we were talking about their, their group. She has, you know, her little staff 
and, and they all had different numbers and, and she was talking about how well they all work together because they all have such completely opposite strengths and how it was such a great picture of why, why people belong in the spaces that they belong in because we all bring different things to the table and, and you can rely on someone to do that and be that because that's how they show up in the world and you need that, you know, yeah. and we don't need to colonize every space in sameness, you know, right. and, and only have ones exactly. <laughs> or only have fours. Nothing would ever get done <laughs> or, you know, it's done too well, or, you know, there's doing yeah. too many lists or things like that. You know, like we can't all just be the same. I mean, I think that even in that understanding, like even the symbolic parts of the Enneagram mm -hmm. and how utilizing that part of it to even understand how we how we come up with ideas and how we solve problems, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We need all those parts to solve a problem yeah. in reality. Like symbolically, we need all of those parts, whether or not we have that actual person there or whether right. or not. Like mm -hmm. I can I can draw on how a tune moves through the world and sees yeah. the world to help with this part of the mm -hmm. problem solving piece. Yeah. And so I think it's just really neat too. Like it really does speak to ultimately how we can mm -hmm. how we can figure things out get things done, yeah. come to conclusions be creative yeah like you think about all of those different pieces of it that are so important mm -hmm. such a big important part of everything yeah that we do right? right yeah and i think that when you think of it that way like it's this really great roadmap mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and in particular probably for me i work in the international space so i work mm -hmm. with with people from all around the world and I'm talking with them and communicating with them and, and we're, you know, solving problems and coming yeah. up with ideas and yeah. figuring, figuring things out and creating vision and, you know, all of those things. I think that that's where that piece comes even mm -hmm. more so of recognizing it as a process layered on top of like just who we are as people. And so, yeah, I think that you know, there's this kind of really interesting thing, just thinking about Helpwood now, like there's this really interesting, or really thinking about my experience in working with these local partners, I started to realize, and this kind of points to that kind of, this, the, for me, that overarching belonging piece of it. I started, I didn't, I started to notice that in spending time working with these people from all over the world and like getting on Zoom calls with them all together and we're presenting these ideas or these problems or we're trying to make decisions. Like, you know, kind of in our typical U.S. society, there's this kind of instant recognition of who's the decision maker mm. here, who's the one who is driving this, who the hierarchy. Who, who are the ones who yeah. just need to be quiet, mm. you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we automatically kind of map all of that out mm. in any given situation. And we kind of even notice these and the other ones just don't get it. They're not, they don't belong at this table, right? Because you just see things totally different than we do, you know? But I started to notice that when I was kind of sitting at this kind of virtual table or symbolic table, that parts of me were showing up that I had never, like naturally showing up mm. when it comes to ideas and thought processes and creativity and how I'm seeing problems and solving them, things like yeah. that. I started noticing these parts of me showing up at that table. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, kind of that curiosity of, like, why is this happening <laughs> here? Right. Um, and why is it not happening in these uh -huh. other spaces? Uh -huh. Like, even thinking about my time at the church, 
you know, for seven years and how, how I was so like aware of what I was allowed to be a part of or when I was supposed to be speaking up and when I wasn't. And then ultimately what that leads to, right, is like the most inner, coolest, most creative, like most pure, like most like visionary parts of ourselves are the parts that we protect first. We hold those back because they feel so vulnerable, right? And so we don't bring that to the table mm-hmm. because we're afraid that it will be rejected, shut yeah. down, not, you know, like whatever the thousand reasons yeah. are for why we automatically learn to protect from, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of that any, any grand piece, right? Like, yeah, I'm just perfecting it all in my home. <laughs> you know, like, right. I'm so focused on that because it's protecting the deeper mm-hmm. part of me that is really just wants to see everyone reach their full potential mm-hmm. and I want everyone to like, experience the best they can possibly experience right i want you to have everything you ever desire Mm -hmm. want you to become who you were designed to be right um and that's the driving of who i really am Mm -hmm. that's where the creativity comes from that's Mm -hmm. where those ideas come from then just kind of my enneagram is layered on top of it now i've othered myself Mm. right and i've other them yeah i've created this space and i feel like so much of that happens around tables mm-hmm. um, in these different kind of ecosystems or whatever you want to call them that we yeah. set up for ourselves yeah. whether that's our family again mm-hmm. our workplace or our community and so i started asking myself like how do we get this how do we get here yeah. where everyone is experiencing this mm-hmm. where they feel comfortable and safe and and like that deeper part of them can show up. Right, right. Because that's really what the world needs, right? Yeah. That's what we all need. Yes. Yeah. For me to stop perfecting and instead mm-hmm. just open up to that part of me that really the deeper desire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the ideas I can have on how I can accomplish that mm-hmm. right? and what I bring to the table. So, yeah. So that kind of points to that bigger piece yeah. where I get passionate about looking at, mm-hmm. looking at our systems and how we set them up. Mm. and asking questions about how we can kind of create that space where people yeah. feel safe to show up, Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, where we all just show up with our best and we don't feel like we have to check, oh, I'm checking that at the door. You don't, I'm right. not going to let you know that part of me because it's going to yeah. be judged. I'm not going to let, you know, like, yes. if all of that has to be checked at the door, that's usually the parts of us that are mm-hmm. also like, like closely tied to our passion and our creativity yeah. and our, like, yeah drive right mm-hmm. thing that helps us show up with energy i think too when we're when we're hiding parts of ourselves checking them at the door like you said i mean frankly that's exhausting mm-hmm. you know to be carrying around this section of yourself that is your true self or at least part of it that you're not allowing anyone to see whether that's out of fear or i mean i guess even protectiveness is fear and I mean, just like being something other than what you really are is exhausting. It takes a lot of energy to resist what you actually are, who you actually are, how you actually want to show up in the world and kind of pretending your way through. Even if, even if you've been doing it like, like I have for a four, for a really long time, it starts to feel natural and you start to feel like, well, maybe I really am, you know, but, but in all reality that just like you were saying, it takes a lot of effort to keep that going, to check that at the door all the time and keep that at bay or kind of filter your words so that they sound more like this and less like that. And, you know, continually managing that perception of who you are and not 
just incorporating your whole self <laughs> and and being confident and gracious and all, you know all those things. And I think that so much of that is deeply tied to that trauma piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have that full physical reaction, yeah. right? It's deeply tied to how we keep ourselves safe mm -hmm. when we can trigger on that, yeah. like we get triggered into that, like mm -hmm. you know, like now I'm not thinking straight. Yeah. Instead, I'm just in survival mode. Yeah. And so now the creativity and all of those things mm -hmm. that are, you know, yeah. in that different part yeah. of my brain, even I can't access them anymore. Mm -hmm. So even if I wanted to yeah. bring that biggest, like that, that mm -hmm. piece of me to the table, I can't right now yeah. because yeah. my body is telling me and my brain is right. telling me you're not safe. Yeah. And so that's how it's responding mm -hmm. in this situation. Like it's just going to keep me safe. Yeah. And so yeah. I, it does, it, it creates this kind of a, uh, constant flow of that stress mm -hmm. um, and energy drain to just keep yourself safe and protect the parts of you yeah. that need to be protected rather than yeah. being able to say like oh i'm relaxed and i'm calm and mm -hmm. now i can show up as my full self yeah. and you can i can show you these yeah. parts of me because i feel yeah. confident and yeah and there's so much like that leads me to that question right like what is belonging and what does it mean to each of us and mm -hmm. i think that you know, that often comes around in like, there's some work that I have to do, right? Because so much of parts of me have been conditioned that they don't belong, right? So there's work that I need to do inside to begin to believe that those parts of me do belong and that they are acceptable and that I can be confident in them and I can show up with them. Yeah. And that even if not everyone likes them, right, or yeah. understands them. Mm -hmm. that I can still, it's okay for me to still be that. So there's that part of it is that work that we do. But I think there's so much that we can learn mm -hmm. as a community, as a group, as a workplace, whatever mm -hmm. it looks like. I think there's so much we can learn about how we set things up yeah. so that people can actually really show up. And that's their experience, mm -hmm. right? And they can yeah. learn the difference. Right. Yeah. In this place, I know I need to keep myself safe mm -hmm. because of the way that this place is. Versus in this place, things are set up for me to successfully yeah. notice and be, feel safe enough to show up as my full self. Get my work done because right. I feel safe. <laughs> I, I know. And it's such a word that I find myself using so much. Yeah. That kind of safe. Yes. Um, and maybe I overuse it. No. But I, I'm going to say no. I mean, I'm not with you all the time, but I'm going to say no. It's so important. Ultimately, <laughs> like, if you would think about it, that's what it all comes yeah, down to. It really right? does. Man. Where we feel safe, we yeah. show up. Where we don't feel safe, we flip into our yeah. brain and we just keep ourselves safe. Right? Right. Through the motions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're, we go into those automatic responses. And so much of our own work is about how can I stay present and conscious and remind myself yeah that it's okay mm -hmm. right and there's so much about our community and our our systems yeah that can help us do that they can make that easier for us to yeah. talk about trauma-informed care right? right like yeah it's a little bit like you know being accessible a wheelchair accessible yeah it might be a necessity for yeah. that person yeah but in reality it makes all makes it easier for all of us right yeah. and yeah we when we see it in that way, how can we make it easier for every one of us? Not just the ones who have had this like deep trauma and they're just really struggling to feel yeah. safe. Like in reality, all of us struggle in this space on yes. some level. Yeah. So how can we make right. it that much easier for yeah. everyone yeah. to show up at the table with their full yeah. self and, and, 
and bring it, not just bring it, but bring it with enthusiasm mm -hmm. and passion, right? Yeah. And in holding space yeah. for everyone else around them, yeah. right? That compassion and curiosity for others. Yes. That are there. Yeah. Because yeah. I think so much of systems and hierarchies is more about power and control, even if it's not explicitly said that way. But I mean, that's, you know, that's what happens around tables a lot right. of the time is sort of maintaining who's in charge and who does make decisions. And there's, you know, inflection and voices that establish that and keep that going as far as right. who's in charge and who has the last word and all those kinds of things. And, and instead, what if we could create spaces where we used our entire bodies, our nervous system, our whole brains instead of just our survival brains. And we right. practice holding space for other people and honoring all the people at the table and, and not just having fear-based power plays right. all the time. I think ultimately, you know, when, as you say that, like that, just like the capacity of each of us as individuals and the potential yeah. that is there that we never tap into because we're kind of like unconsciously yeah. checking each other, mm. right? Unconsciously yeah. kind of one-upping each other. Mm. Unconsciously, mm. like I've got to hold my space and I've got to hold my power. Right. So we're working from this sense of yeah. scarcity yes. rather than this sense of abundance mm -hmm. that we're in this together and yeah. we can solve this problem together. Yeah. And I know that you are just as capable as I am of solving this problem. And you might have a different strength or see it differently than we do we put it all together yeah. and all show up with it. Yes. Yeah. If we believed that I have abundance or even I am abundance, which sounds a little, you know, woo woo, but like <laughs> if I believed that about myself and I also believed that about you, then even like that idea in and of itself is revolutionary because me plus you equals real abundance. Double abundance. Double abundance. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're like overly qualified Right. to do X, Y, and Z or to fix this problem or whatever, instead mm -hmm. of scarcity meets scarcity. And I don't know, we may never get it. I don't know. Well, we may never solve it's this problem. It's going to fail. But one of us is going to win. Right. right? <laughs> and I'm going to make sure it's me because it's me against you. I just think that's, I mean, that's amazing just in and of itself. Like that, I truly believe that would actually change the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. if we came from a place of abundance, Yeah. that you plus me equals Double, double, double abundance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do the math perfectly, yeah, which abundance times two at least. <laughs> oh man. It's just yeah. so, it's so good. I wish we could start an agency where we would go in and teach people breath work and, and neurology and Enneagram and storytelling and, and just revolutionize all the system. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just like that idea that it yeah. and all just like the way that we have set up our system yeah. is setting us up to ultimately fail yeah. as a whole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Families to fail, relationships and marriages to fail. Yeah. Workplaces to fail. And I think that's ultimately why things do fail. Mm -hmm is because it comes from that fear-based place of me versus you and and one-upping and nobody truly feeling like they belong. When you don't belong, then there's no reason to stay. <laughs> that sounds really dumb. 
<laughs> but when you don't feel like you belong, then there's a reason to really put forth effort to participate, to show up as yourself because you already, you walked in there knowing you didn't belong. Right. You know? Yeah. Or that you weren't welcome at that table. Right. Or, right. you know, you might feel like you belong, but nobody else does. And you know that kind of thing. Right. And exactly. so then you're set up to fail in that in and of itself because right. you're not going to show up right. authentically anyway. Yeah. You know? And how much of that is what I believe about myself? Right. How much of that is the system mm -hmm. that's telling me that that's the case? Right. How much of that is really what someone else believes? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's really not what someone else believes. Right. It's what the system yeah. is telling me about myself. Yeah. It's what I believe about myself. Yeah. Right. So if we can come to this place where we, we change how we all show up, yeah. right? Yeah. Because most of like what we believe about ourselves is formed by what we think someone else believes about us, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And most of the time we find that is an extremely inaccurate way to yeah. develop an idea of who we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I feel like this brings it back full circle <laughs> to the beginning of the podcast where we were talking about parenting, because I think that ultimately is like the job of a parent is to teach a kid what it means to belong. Mm -hmm. Like you belong with me, end of a sentence, period. Right. You know, like however you show up into the world, whatever behaviors you bring with you from adoption and trauma or just being birthed into the world. Right. That however that shows up, I'm saying to you, I accept you. Right. I'm saying to you that no matter what that looks like, how it manifests itself day to day, how annoying it is, you belong with me. Right. And you have the right to belong here, however you show right. up in the world. Right. Yeah. And then if our parenting is more about behavior modification than it is about belonging, then we're just going to reproduce that right there. Right. Behavior modification. And they're going to take that to their and workplace. And they're going to they don't belong. To their church. But they know how to behave. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, and then the system just recycles. Yeah. And resets. Yeah. And recycles. It does. Because that's how we set up our... Yeah. And we get out there and get an opportunity to be in control and yeah. lean, then that's how we set it up. Right. Right. Yeah. Because that's what we were taught. It's all we know. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, I love that kind of full circle. Yeah. Comes back. Well, we solved all the problems in the world. Yes, we did. <laughs> if we, we have the answer. If folks. everyone would just do things <laughs> the way that the Enneagram wants that to do, right? <laughs> we wouldn't have any issues. We would have no issues. It would, everything <laughs> would be efficient <laughs> and in control. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm sure we could keep talking for hours and days and we'll have to come back and revisit some other things because there's more to say. Yes. But I'm yes. so thankful that you were here today. Thanks for sharing your heart and your passion and your story with us. Oh, my it's been God. amazing. It has been wonderful. And I could definitely continue to talk to you. We've said this, like I, we could talk yeah. for days. <laughs> so just yeah. thank you for this little bit of time um, to be able to show up and share and, and hear more from you and your perspectives. I love yeah. following the things that you yeah. say and write because they just like, I'll read it and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. She's brilliant. Um, so <laughs> thank you for continuing to, to show up and put this stuff out in the world because it's what we all need to hear. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. As always, Check the show notes for links for more information about things that we talked about today. We are supported by your monthly memberships at the Speakeasy section on my website and also by your donations, which you can do just a one-time donation on the website. The blog and the podcast are supported by you. The world may run on Duncan, but we run on you. That sounded better in my head. You guys know what I mean. We are supported solely by you. So thanks again for joining us. We'll talk more next time.